This SCCM Eye Critical Care podcast is sponsored by Astute Medical. Astute is dedicated to identifying and validating protein biomarkers that can serve as the basis for novel diagnostic tests. Astute's novel renal biomarkers, TIMP2 and IGF-BP7, are now commercially available in the U.S. as the NephroCheck test. Innovative biomarkers. Smarter healthcare. You can find us at astutemedical.com. Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's Eye Critical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ludwig Lin. Today, I will be speaking with Azra Bihorak, MD, MS, FCCM, about the article, Guiding AKI Prevention Using Biomarkers, published in Critical Connections. Dr. Bihorak works as an Associate Professor of Anesthesiology, Surgery, and Medicine at the University of Florida. She is also a Senior Intensivist and Nephrologist at University of Florida Health in Gainesville, Florida. The article that was published in Critical Connections is an article discussing a new biomarker that is now available for clinical use and constructing a recommended algorithm for intensivists in terms of grading patients' risk for AKI using clinical factors as well as the biomarker assay. I would like to, first of all, welcome Dr. Bihurak and to uh, thank you for being here today with us for the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure and I feel privileged to be able to help elaborate on new technology for decreasing our critical illness patients' risk for AKI, which is a major morbidity. Maybe we could start out by discussing some of the background of this. I know that a lot of this current work was built on the Sapphire and Topaz trials. So maybe I could get you to start this podcast by commenting about this unique biomarker, the assay, how, how it works, what is it about, and also to comment about those two different trials and their clinical conclusions. Absolutely. So first of all, I would like, if you don't mind, just kind of touch on uh, on the back. Why are we even interested in predicting risk for acute kidney injury? You know, as many intensivists and other physicians involved in the care of in hospitalized patients, we are all aware that acute kidney injury is one of the most common hospital complications. And in spite of the high prevalence of AKI and association with adverse outcome associated like mortality and cost and other complications in ICU and hospital, the awareness among physicians and application of some simple measures that can sometimes mitigate the risk are often not present in a contemporary practice. Now, actually, there's increasing number of studies in literature showing that not just that we do not document presence of AKI, we often don't apply very simple measures when we are even aware of the presence of acute kidney injury in our patients. So, one of the reasons for that is, first of all, it's a complex disease like sepsis, and we don't really have a bundle for AKI as we do have for sepsis. And the second, that uh, diagnosis of AKI requires often, um, you know, applying criteria that might not be always very simple, and uh, use of serum creatinine may diagnose AKI perhaps at time point that when preventive measures might be too late. So uh, search for a urinary biomarker that can diagnose or perhaps identify risk for AKI 
has been ongoing for the last several years and several biomarkers have been identified in the urine and blood as you may be aware. However, there was not yet a widely acceptable or FDA approved biomarker that would be specifically focused on identification of the risk in critically ill patients. I think that was the motivation behind both SAFIRE and TOPAS study. Each of them were multi-center trial involving a large, amount, a large number of critically ill patients across the different ICUs, both in the U.S. and internationally. SAFIRE study was an international multi-center trial involved 728 critically ill patients and consisted of both discovery study and validation study. In the discovery study, uh, there was about 340 biomarkers that were by that time identified as potentially useful for risk stratification, and they were tested against each other uh, among uh, 522 ICU patients. And on the basis of that discovery study, two biomarkers were identified as having the best performance, and they were insulin-like growth factor binding protein, IGFBT7, and tissue inhibitor of metalloproteinase, TIMP2. They performed the best, and then in a validation study, they were tested again prospectively against other commonly used biomarkers like NGEL and cystatin C. And in the validation study, they performed again better by simultaneously testing against these biomarkers and serum creatinine. So that was the initial study, and SAFIRE was then followed by TOPAS study that was done in the United States only. And again, it involved large number of the ICU patients, 420 critically ill patients. And the design of the study was such that only patients who were considered to be high risk for AKI, and that was determined on the basis of a high cardiovascular or respiratory SOFA, were tested at the time of ICU admission within 12 hours of ICU admission. Patients were excluded if they already had severe AKI, but if they had known CKD, they were allowed to enter the study. And then their urinary samples for biomarker and serum creatinine were performed at the same time, and they were tested against each other for the risk stratification for the AKI within 12 hours of the sampling that had to be moderate to severe as adjudicated by the committee of the nephrologist. So it was really not necessarily KDGO classification, but it was rather clinical adjudication of AKI episode by three independent nephrologists. And in the TOPAS study, combination of these two biomarkers as a product performed uh, superior, uh, had a very similar AU as initial SAFIRE study, and uh, patients who had biomarker above the predefined cutoff of 0.3 had almost seven times relative risk of developing AKI within 12 hours, as opposed to those who did not have. Subsequently, these results were the basis for FDA approval of the test for the risk stratification for AKI in addition to the clinical risk stratification, meaning that you would perform some clinical pretest probability, you will set some pretest probability with your clinical judgment or clinical assessment or clinical score, and then you would use biomarker to further enhance your risk stratification for AKI.
Quick question: How quickly does the test result come back? So NetroCheck is、uh, subsequently developed as a test that is run by laboratory and is、uh, performed on a small sample of the urine that doesn't require any special processing. You send the sample of the urine to the lab, and the lab in our facility usually send the results within one hour.、Uh, ideally, you could even get it even faster, but we set expectation from our laboratory to provide results within one hour. That's great. I mean, that's clinically actually, you know, entirely useful, useful right? Because、yeah. exactly, you can expect that you will be able to perform some actions on the base of the test in terms of how timely it arrives. Yes. Yeah, that's. That's excellent. So you took a look at the results of these studies, and、uh, you've come up with a recommended algorithm for us. Is that correct? So you know, obviously, we were excited about ability to enhance our clinical risk stratification. And、uh, in our institution, uh, we uh, we were looking in how to apply this test. In a clinical setting, because obvious question is whether use of the risk stratification will change outcomes. Right now, we don't have a study like that. Not yet in a, in AK. I feel has been a study that has shown that a certain protocolized care or a set of measures for prevent for AKI prevention would lead to the change of the occurrence of the AKI, and whether ability to identify patient at the risk. May affect development of AKI if those measures are applied. So really, you know, I was asked to write a piece that was my clinical, you know, clinical opinion piece on how potentially I envisioned these biomarkers to be used. And、uh, what we proposed really is that the clinical action should have three main goals for intensivists. That number one is to prevent AKI whenever it's possible among patients who are at risk but do not have yet AKI. To mitigate progression in the patients who have mild AKI towards higher stages, because we know that the adverse outcomes and cost go proportional to the severity of AKI, and among patients who eventually do develop AKI because the injuries was so high, that we can、uh, facilitate renal recovery and allow some support of renal function that would also allow us to. Decrease effect of the lack of renal function on other organs like mechanical ventilation, fluid balance, acid base, and so on. So this is like conceptual paradigm for us in terms how treatment of AKI should occur in ICU. And for the use of biomarkers, we really focus on what I think is the primary prevention. Meaning, if you have a patient who doesn't have known history of kidney disease. But you identify that patient to be at high risk for developing of AKI on the basis of exposures and susceptibility, and using this test you can stratify them. Other preventive measures that you can use and how to use them in a standardized manner to prevent development or progression of AKI. That's kind of paradigm we went from, and we developed a concept that we call、um, red CPR that is based on.、Um, First step that would be、um, 
assessment of the renal resilience or renal susceptibility and then assessing renal exposures and using those two assessments to develop clinical risk, right? This is all based on a KDGO recommendation. And I don't know whether you are familiar with them, but they really develop a concept of renal susceptibility and renal exposures. Susceptibility would be evidence of previous episodes of AKI that we know make you at a risk for AKI development, previous existence of CKD, proteinuria. Those are all factors that may predispose patients for AKI. Also, having stage 1 AKI or decrease in urine output for like transient AKI would be another risk for progression. Exposures would be most commonly hypotension, hypoxia, sepsis, in ICU, high-risk surgery, uh, hepatorenal, cardiorenal syndrome, EQ, right? And then once you have identified patients who might have both exposure and susceptibility, you would use biomarker to see whether there is a presence of the stress because we believe that this biomarker identified tubular stress. And then once you have these three factors and you determine that this is a patient who had not just a clinical risk, but now there is evidence of tubular stress in the urine, this is the right patient to apply set of preventive measures. Does it make sense to you in terms of approach? It does. It does, yes. And I think you can argue that a lot of these assessments we do in our everyday practice, right? But yes. not necessarily we do them in a standardized systematic fashion, right? Very true. They think having a way to alert all practitioners to impending renal distress is good because, you know, in our multidisciplinary care of critically ill patients, sometimes some of us are aware and others are not. And in a way, you know, having a clinical parameter that is going to be a good way to flag a patient as high risk might be helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but there was a recent study. There are studies that look at the e-alert, you know, the alert, electronic alert for diagnosis of AKI, meaning when AKI already has occurred. And however, we really do not have decision support or some kind of automated tool that can actually calculate the risk for AKI clinical, right? Because I think in ideal situation, you would like one day to arrive to a meaningful use of electronic health boards where certain clinical risk certification could be applied in real time, where you could perhaps flag patient for their renal susceptibility and exposure automatically in electronic health records. And then once you have flagged them for their clinical risk, you can move on a biological risk assessment by biomarker, right? And that would be very nice example of how integration of all kind of ability for us to use this data, clinical and biological data as a continuum can be applied. However, you know, so as, as of now, we don't have such a tool, but uh, I think that NephroCheck, this could be a nice disease where we can develop paradigm of such approach. So in our institution, we are working on developing such a tool. However, in the lack of an automated tool, what we have developed is a standardized 
part of assessment in our regular H&P at the time of ICU admission where, you know, how we do a little organ assessment, we develop our little kidney health assessment that uh, has a little screen for all of these elements and help us produce a little score that we use to identify patients who might have a risk and then we test them for an effort check. That is our approach right now in our, in our institution. Sounds great. Just to uh, make sure that all of our listeners uh, understand what this algorithm is if they are not looking at it the way I am right now. The, uh, the, the algorithm is uh, discussing people who have susceptibility. So, for example, a uh, estimated JFR that's low, lower history of CKD, urine albumin, other risk factors, as well as possible exposures, so hypotension, sepsis, respiratory failure, severe trauma, high-risk surgery. Absolutely. So these high-risk patients, they would get a screening test with the biomarkers. Yes. If that value is less than 0.3, they get usual care. If that value is greater than 0.3, then the quote-unquote CPR is initiated, and the C is for causes using diagnostic tools like renal ultrasound, renal Doppler, urine electrolytes, urine sediment, specialized immunological tests. The P is prevention, so monitor renal function, goal-directed fluid therapy, blood pressure maximization, drug dosing and toxicity, nephrology consult. And the R is reassessment, dynamic GFR measurements, urine output, urinary biomarker, fluid balance, recovery of organs failure. So that is the algorithm that Dr. Biharak and I are discussing currently. Let me ask you another question about this. In terms of the use of this biomarker set, as a way to track the progression or the improvement of AKI. Is that something that you do, or is it that once it's positive, it's positive? Now, as you may be aware, the biomarker is, is FDA-approved for the first initial risk stratification, and we don't still have studies that show that whether you know, testing with repeated tests will help us see whether AKI is revolving or not. So as of now, because of the lack of such a data, we use biomarker just for initial, so for initial risk assessment. And I would like to clarify a little bit on an algorithm. So really, you know, I think that for intensivists, we can think about this as a continuum, right? When you admit a patient to ICU, a patient who may be at the risk for acute kidney injury, and you, you identify that by the putting together all this clinical algorithm, and you have maybe somebody who is a little oliguric for a couple hours but doesn't really fulfilling the criteria yet, right? So you are wondering whether I should, is this, or you have a mild elevation of creatinine, but you don't know whether there is a history of CKD, so you don't know whether this is acute or chronic. We all had those patients, yes. right, who are are hypotensive, who are septic, so you are wondering, oh, should I give a fluid, should I extubate, should I diaries, what should I do, right? Sometimes you're in this dilemma, and it's not somebody who is necessarily, you know, completely anuric, auguric for many hours, so this is this gray area, and you don't know what to do. We think that biobarcabil may be very useful for a very basic ABCD approach, meaning if you test biomarker and... Uh, biomarker is negative, then probably you don't need to 
consider large fluid resuscitation. You don't need to chase your urine output with multiple fluid boluses, being worried that there is a problem with perfusion, right? You can relax. You can think perhaps this is not such a high risk. Maybe this is something else. Maybe this is something that might just need the baby dose of diuretic, right? Maybe this is inappropriate ADH after surgery in somebody who is in pain or who is throwing up, vomiting, and so on, right? On the other hand, you might see that in a bio, the biomarker we indicate high tubular stress. I also want to point out that biomarker can range, you know, with a, from 0.3 and up. And in a Europe, the, uh, another cutoff has been um, validated greater than two that indicates very severe stress, right? So if you get a very, very high level, that really implicates the magnitude of the tubular stress. So you could interpret that in that way, right? So I would say that once you get result of initial and you can look in the continuum of how high is the biomarker, then we recommend approaching in terms of the A, B, C, D, meaning do your basics, right? Assess patients, urine output, if necessary, monitor more tightly urine output. Be sure that blood pressure is optimized, that you are achieving appropriate mean arterial pressure, especially for patients who might have history of hypertension and for whom a higher level of MAP may be required. That means that you might need to look in their home blood pressure meds, maybe hold some of them. Then think about I call that circulation of fluid. Do you really need, do you need to adjust for their euvolemia in our ICU? We like to use point of care ultrasound. I'm sure in the ER you use that. You would do that perhaps anywhere, but you might need a different set of eyes. Look, is this my volume appropriate? Because you don't want to volume overload them, just like you don't want to make them pre-renal or to have them volume depleted. Um, Look at the drugs, right? A lot of these patients will be on nephrotoxic drugs. If possible, stay away for those like non-steroidal. Maybe consider holding ACE inhibitors on ARBs. If they are on vancomycin, be aware that vancomycin is nephrotoxic by itself, but also that this patient may progress and have a lower GFR and impaired clearance. And also we want you to think about medications that are clear through the kidneys and a lot of our patients are on like benzodiazepines and opioids. So in patients who with very high level, very high tests and already stage 1 AKI, be aware that decreased clearance may impose a problem of the clearance of these medications. Those are very simple measures, but we find them very useful as a very basic approach in these first 12 hours because your next measurement in 12 hours, that reassessment will show you the trajectory, right? Because if in 12 hours, if you have done everything right, you would expect that this patient will not progress, that creatinine will either stay stable or start coming down, as opposed to patient who goes to the next level and in whom maybe the, the stress was so high that you need to continue doing these measures and continue doing other sets of measures. Expanding your tests, like using point-of-care resistive index and so on and so on. So this is a dynamic approach that requires reassessment of renal function, reassessment of the risk, reassessment of the things we are doing to the patient. Sure. Yes. It's something that really comes back to really good ICU care, isn't it, which is being very cognizant and uh, being wary of the potential complications. 
Well, I wanted to ask you a question about the use of the biomarker. Why not, for example, start the assessment at the point of arrival for these patients? Oftentimes, that's the emergency room where the patient is getting various diagnostic tests, which could include, for example, uh, radiology tests utilizing contrast that is nephrotoxic or, you know, use antibiotics that could potentially be nephrotoxic. Well, why not use this test in the ED to pick up the renal distress, you know, as early as possible? I think that's an excellent point and because I want to point out that some of the patients that were enrolled in Topaz and Sapphire came from emergency room. So really requirement is not geographical. It is more about how critically ill you are, right? Because the, the reason why it doesn't say that you need to be in ICU, but you need to be deemed being critically ill for your physician. And I think that the reason why it coined the term critically ill really wanted to implement certain pre-test probability in terms of exposure for the kidney injury, right? Because we know that in critical illness, hypotension, hypoxia, sepsis predispose patients clinically for AKI, leading towards better prediction when you use biological mark on the top of clinical risk. So I think in the emergency room, it's a completely justified because we, as you know, the critically ill patients doesn't wait to come to ICU to become critically ill, right? <laughs> he becomes critically ill the moment he entered the hospital. So I I think as the future, as we move towards future, we we will move from geographical ICU to like patient located ICU, right? We, it will be like services will be given to a patient wherever the patient is, and he might not be in ICU yet, might be on the floor, right? So I think critical patients in the emergency room needs to be assessed in the same way as a patient in the ICU. And you're absolutely right. A lot of things happen in the ER. And as you know, a lot of time, bed availability is not there, right? Patients might spend 12 hours with sepsis in the emergency room where everything happens in the ER. And I think it's a completely justified in a critical ill patients in the emergency room to apply the same paradigm. And emergency physicians are leaders in the use of point-of-care ultrasound. I think you would agree with me with that. So I see amazing opportunity there where, you know, putting together point-of-care ultrasound together with a biomarker like this may actually prevent prevent AKI that is in the early stages for many patients who will eventually end up in ICU and and I think that we definitely need to think about studies that will start uh, with the critical patients either in the ER or in ICU with some standardized approach. Sounds great. Early vigilance definitely sounds like the way to go with this. As somebody who is an advocate for uh, the, the renal system in critical illness, what would you say the next step is for us? So the next step is really that we start planning or performing in our own institution or even um, multi-centered studies where we would test application of the standardized approach 
as opposed to whatever we are doing right now uh, and see whether we can see difference in outcomes, right? Now, you can approach to this in different ways. You know, you know, we all want to see randomized control trials, but not always they are, you know, it's easy to perform them and they take a long time, right? What we choose to do in our institutions was to do something in the standardized uh, assessment and management plan for AKI. We, we are basing it on a sound clinical approach. And uh, we, put, we have put a group uh, of the physicians from multiple backgrounds, including laboratory specialists, intensivists, nephrologists, and developed some our institution-based experience, historical experience with AKI, and then implemented tests in a standardized way and watching as a quality improvement project whether such a protocol leads to improvement in our outcomes. And I think that is one way to go too, as opposed to randomized control trials. Now, it's not necessarily generalizable as RCTs are, but we think for the clinical sound practice, sometimes it's a good start point because we have a complication that we don't know much to do about. So that would be our approach for now, but I'm hoping that uh, we will soon see something like a randomized controlled trials similar to what we have done in sepsis looking with the protocolized care as versus standard care for treatment for prevention of AKI. What do you think? I completely agree with you. I, I think we definitely uh, operate with a paradigm of evidence practice, you know, evidence-based practice. So having uh, some data would be good. At the same time, there are also other things that seem to be quite intuitively you know, correct. And for me, this concept of early vigilance for AKI uh, seems very wise because I'm practically speaking for me as a clinician, once we have somebody uh, with AKI, it's pretty hard to get them out of it. So why not try some preemptive approaches to be more cognizant, to be aware of the patients at risk, and to really start thinking about it early. And I think during that early treatment phase of a critically ill patient's sometimes the decisions are coming so fast and furious that maybe something doesn't get considered as much. So, you know, having a protocolized way to remind people of the fragility of the renal system would, would be really good. I absolutely agree. And I often um, draw a parallel between, you know, we, we all focus very much on cardiac complications because we are all aware of the cardiovascular mortality and morbidity, but, you know, it's also important to understand that decline in kidney function, that acute kidney injury eventually can lead towards chronic kidney disease, right? And that the, once the patient experiences AKI, he is at increased risk of recurrent AKI. And we will propose a paradigm in a new, some new um, ASCII guidelines that perhaps AKI needs to be followed more vigilant through the continuum of, of the clinical care. So as of now, um, unfortunately, a lot of patients develop AKI and leave ICU and leave hospital without ever being mentioned to have AKI in their discharge summary. And often patient has no idea they had acute kidney injury, right? And some of these patients will be at increased risk for developing a chronic kidney disease, increased risk for developing cardiovascular disease, and for increased risk of dying from any cause, and especially from cardiovascular death for the next 10 years, just on the basis of that AKI episode. So, you know, we lack 
action plan on this item, right? And, uh, you know, less than third of the patients will ever see nephrologists after even severe AKI episode. And I think that awareness will come with our vigilance to early identify a risk and apply these biomarkers and then develop some even simple plan how to approach these patients, right? And I think that will help us improve overall care of patients with kidney disease. That is, I think, one of the least understood and um, the least comfortable disease we deal with in not just ICU, but overall among hospitalized patients. That is my impression as nephrologist. It's very true. And I think we need to give the uh, nephrologists a lot of kudos for saving the rest of us and uh, to really be advocates for the system because, yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's a hard system for us to deal with, but we, we do need to and we need to give it a lot of respect. Well, on that note, um, I think I'm going to uh, wrap up this discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and to make sure that the rest of us are thinking about the kidneys. And I'm looking forward to getting more data in the future about this. And hopefully all of us can continue to be proactive about thinking about this particular organ system for our critically ill patients. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast please check out our website at www.sccm.org backslash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCriticalCare podcast, I'm Dr. Ludwig Lin. This SCCM iCriticalCare podcast is sponsored by Astute Medical. Astute is dedicated to identifying and validating protein biomarkers that can serve as the basis for novel diagnostic tests. Astute's novel renal biomarkers, TIMP2 and IGF-BP7, are now commercially available in the U.S. as the NephroCheck test. Innovative biomarkers. Smarter healthcare. You can find us at astutemedical.com. Ludwig Lynn, M.D. is an intensivist and anesthesiologist at Summit Altabates Medical Center in the Bay Area in Northern California and is a consulting professor at Stanford University, where he teaches a seminar on the psychosocial and economic ramifications of critical illness. Dr. Lin did his medical training, anesthesia residency, and critical care medicine fellowship at the University of California, San Francisco. He has served as faculty at both Stanford University as well as the University of California, San Francisco, where he was a professor and the medical director of critical care at San Francisco General Hospital. He has interests in patient-family communication as well as education. Being a SCCM podcast host reminds Dr. Lin of his undergraduate days as a news broadcaster for his college radio station, KZSU. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.